And welcome to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. We are the retro talk program for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And we have a special guest with us on this episode of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. We're happy that you are with us, and we're happy that we have our guest with us, because this is a gentleman who was with us about a couple years ago. We figured out, we looked back at our earlier shows, and we found out he was with us a couple years ago. And actually, we have him in the studio with us today. Last time he was with us, he came to us by telephone. But we're so pleased to welcome back to our microphones our good friend, Dave Leonard. Dave, welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. Thank you so much. Glad to be here for a return visit. Absolutely, and we're so happy to have you with us. And actually, Dave is going to be with us for the next four programs, including this show. He's going to be with us on four programs for the next several weeks. Dave will be with us, and we're going to talk quite a bit about the early Top 40 history. Uh, there's so much. Dave is such an expert in the field of Top 40 radio, especially in Southern California, but in general, the areas of his expertise are just all over the place. And we're going to talk about so many things on this show and on the next three shows that follow, but we're going to start off uh, this time with uh, radio personalities that originated in San Diego. Uh, Dave, uh, why don't you just kind of lead us in, and Mike and I will follow along, and we'll just toss some questions and banter back and forth and have some fun with it. That sounds good. You know, we have a great friend in Shotgun Tom Kelly. Yes. He is at KRTH in Los Angeles. And you know that uh, at that station, Shotgun Tom Kelly is followed in the uh, shift by Christina Kelly, and then on weekends, Chaz Kelly, three Kellys at the same <laughs> right. radio station. That could never have happened in the early days of Top 40 Radio. Yeah. There was such a focus on the distinction of names, both within the station and the market. And that's kind of the change that's occurred over the various years. One of the interesting things in the early days of Top 40 Radio was creating names based on the parts of the day. For instance, there was a gentleman named Jim Neal that probably no one would have heard of locally. But if you consider his air name, that was Scotty Day of KCBQ, who was in this uh, station from 1958 to 1972. And that was a name that was applied to him by the Bartell Radio Broadcasting. They had another Scotty Day in the San Francisco market, and they had other names that they used repeatedly throughout the United States at their various stations. KDEO, went in the early 60s, went way overboard on using names for day parts. Jim Washburn was a very popular DJ in the Los Angeles area, KFWB. But in the short time that he was at KDEO, he was the morning drive, and they called him Coffee Jim Dandy. Mm. And why Dandy? Because Dandy Broadcasting owned KDEO at the time. Then there was another gentleman who was more known in the radio industry locally under his real name of Jerry Swearingen, but his air name was Shadow Jackson both at KDEO, followed by KCBQ, followed by KOGO, which he became program director. Shadow being similar to Shadow Stevens, that's intended to be part of an evening or the the shadows cast in that part of the day. And that was used quite a bit, again, throughout the country, where there are shadows everywhere Mm. under different names. And then you had an unusual situation at KDEO where they had an overnight DJ, who was considered or composed of different people at different times, always under the name of Ben Bright. For the most part, that was Lee Showbloom. And at KDEO, he did the overnight shift, but not under his real name, but under the name of Ben Bright. 
The 1950s saw a multitude of different names that were developed at KCBQ that were used there specifically or emerged here that were used elsewhere. One of the uh, early names that uh, appeared that uh, also was a Bartell name used in different markets was Johnny Holiday. That person's real name was Ed Phillips. But here's an anomaly. Um, there was another holiday in town in 1959 into 1960, and that was Cy Holiday, the first female DJ in the San Diego market. But she was so regarded lowly because she was an overnight DJ at a lesser station, they didn't care. They used the name Holiday anyway, and that overlapped the same period. One of the more popular names that people are familiar with is Happy Hair, real name Harry Martin. How did he get that name? In a passing conversation, Don Howard was chatting with him in the uh, lobby and said, you look happy today. You should be a happy hare. And that was <laughs> the name that stuck. One of the other persons that worked with happy hare was Jerry Walker. Now, Jerry was the KCB quack alter ego, but his real name was Harry Burrell. And there's already a Harry on staff. They didn't want another Harry to confuse the audience. So they had him work up a different name. Well, Walker's his middle name, so there was Jerry Walker, and Jerry rhyming with Harry was close enough, and that's how we use that name, but only in San Diego. He used Harry Burrell at KNX and other stations in the years that followed. The other odd thing that happened in the early 50s was XEAK, when that was, uh, became a Top 40 radio station in 1957. At the time, the station management wanted to use one-syllable names for all of their air staff. And so they came up with Bill Ray, Artie Lee, Ted Lake. They ran into a problem with that because they were doing international broadcasts and you couldn't use assumed names under those types of conditions. So they reverted back to their real names. So Bill Ray became Frank Thompson, later at KOGO. Artie Lee became Artway, also at KOGO and at KGB. And then Ted Lake became Bob Donnelly, who was the program director of the station. Then in the 1960s, KCBQ experimented with names based on different media. For instance, Don Robertson came to KCBQ in 1965 and was given the name of Johnny Solo. Why Solo? Well, there was the man from UNCLE, and there was also the uh, 007 series where there was a villain named Solo in that. So they thought Solo would stick. And they called him Johnny Solo. Only time in his career he ever had that name. In fact, I found him on Facebook because he re was referring to uh, an instant where he was given the crummy name of Johnny Solo. But he was a huge uh, uh, personality in the Texas market. Jim Talley was a local talent. He went to Crawford uh, High School, got into radio, found his way to KCBQ. But not as Jim Talley. He was Jimmy Mack. And, of course, you know the song Jimmy Mack, right. a name that would stick. Chris Charles is another personality, worked in different markets throughout uh, his career. And when he came to San Diego, he was using the name Chuck Christian. Well, then the movie The Magic Christian came up. And therefore, they thought they would capitalize on that. He became the Magic Christian, and that's the name that he used for the balance of his career. There's also been some personal taste by the DJs themselves. Bob Elliott came to San Diego and worked at KGB in 1965. Then he left the market and came back as K.O. Bailey. And the reason the K.O. Bailey name came about was K.O. because he was a Marine and high school amateur boxer. 
and that was the reference of Kale, and he was from the Bay Area, and the Bailey was the genesis for that. So K.O. Bailey represented his his passions of where he was from and his hobby in boxing. Wayne Thomas is an innocuous name that doesn't have anything that particularly is memorable about it, but if you rename him when you come to San Diego, as Gary Allen did, you play upon his interest in Asian philosophy and add a little anglicized version to it, and you come up with China Smith. And those are some of the names that emerged in that particular area. Now, Dave, I was going to ask you, you talk about these names. These were produced names, but there were also people, a lot of top 40 personalities, that actually came in and used their real names, their birth names, so to speak. Were they able to decide, hey, I want to use my own name, or was that sole property of the... uh, the GM and the program director to give them the nickname. I know China Smith, when he came up to L.A. for FM radio, there was a lot of discussion. Well, China Smith, because they tur- found out there was a movie, a black-and-white movie, called China Clipper back in the 30s. Did they come up with these names also to give some mystique? Because I know there was there were kids, young teenagers, who actually thought these guys' names were, were their uh, radio names. They'd see them at the supermarket and say, I know you. You're, yeah, whoever. Yeah. You're Johnny Solo. I've always wanted to meet you, Johnny Solo. I got to meet Johnny Solo, and no one ever really knew their real name or who they were. The San Diego market was a journeyman market. It was not right. a starting point. The names were totally at the whim of the station. And sometimes, as we have a situation where they went by multiple names at the same station. Right, okay. And I'm not recalling anybody that emerged in the market with their real name and started out that way. Sometimes they were to negotiate back to it once they were established. But one of the interesting things was at KGB in 1972, there was a gentleman that was hired on, and he used the air name of Eric Chase. That was how he's known throughout the country. Eric Chase, Very right. prominent That's uh, one DJ. one I was thinking of, yeah. But he did not use that name at KGB when he came here because they had a spare jingle that they wanted to use, so he used the name Johnny Williams. Well, there's a change in program director, and he wants to play up some mystique in the name. Mystique. And so he becomes Jean-Paul. <laughs> and just for good measure, another change in the uh, management, and they are wanting them to use their real names. Paul Stelgis, that's his real name. That's it. Three names at one station in the course of about 18 months. It drove him nuts. But uh, nevertheless, that's the only instance where I've seen um, people use their real name uh, after they've gone through uh, several iterations of different names. Well, you know, Dave, then there are the ones who <coughs> operated in San Diego Top 40 in the late 60s, early 70s, that to this day still use the name. Jimmy, Jimmy Rabbit, for instance. That might even be his real name. I'm not sure. What's the deal on Jimmy Rabbit? Hey, Jimmy Rabbit, because I know you're in Grand Junction, Colorado, and you listen to every show. I know you That's do. That's right. And a, a big galaxy shout-out to Jimmy Rabbit. <laughs> And, uh, of KRLA fame. Exactly. Yeah. But you had some, like you say, you had some mystique associated with these names, and a lot of these uh, personalities had their own following. There were people who would actually rush home from work in order to listen to their favorite guy on the, on the radio. I would be one of those. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I also thought that it, their ear names were their real names yeah. when I was a kid. I did too. And you get to where we're at in our stage of life and you look back and they were basically nothing more than produced nicknames because we all have nicknames. There's Smitty over there. That's right. There's Dave, the unchallenged, authoritative, know-it-all as far as Top 40 Radio over there. Oh. <laughs> That's going to be your air name from now on, Dave. Yes, and of course we have Mike B., who yeah. who's, who survived numerous attacks from the chameleons. Yes, the chameleons <laughs> uh, and, and the old FM days where Listen. interns were called gophers, but once in a while they had to do the overnighter because the overnight guy was in jail, either for alimony or some other in Breezin' Till 3 with Mike B. <laughs> it, yeah, cool. it had to sing. It had to it chime. Had to sing, yeah. Well, I, I see you're setting me up, so there'll be many questions in the future about Top 40, and my answer will be, I don't know. You're walking <laughs> right into the trap, Dave. <laughs> I had no, you know, talking, Dave, to you, I, I had no clue that this was the situation with their names, uh, that uh, really the stations dictated a lot of that. Absolutely. I had no clue about that. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just learning that right now. And, t- uh, and oftentimes, as we just... Talked about with Eric Chase. That yeah. was program director to program director. Right, exactly. KGB did some interesting things with names, and again, dif- depending on who was in charge, but there were some names that came about there that stuck for all time. For instance, well, probably one of the biggest was a guy named Johnny Scott. Not his real name, but that was his air name when he came to Riverside. And as Ben Fong Torres points out in the hits Just Keep On Coming, Johnny Scott was sending tapes to KGB, KHJ, KFRC, not realizing those were all managed by the same consultant. Those tapes that would leave at all these different stations were going to one person named Bill Drake. Bill Drake listened to him, liked what he heard, and said he was hired, and we begin his broadcasting at KGB in San Diego. And Johnny Scott was just delighted as could be. There was a caveat to that. Drake added, and your name will be Bobby Ocean. And his heart just sunk. Bobby Ocean? What kind of name is that? But that was the name that stuck. And and I think, you know, again, silly me, Bobby Ocean just happens to be a coincidence. He's in San Diego. His last name's Ocean. But uh, he has done very well with that name over the course of time. And he can thank Bill Drake as uh, at least a thousand others. And half of them, Smitty and I and Dave could tell you, can thank Bill Drake for either the Bobby Ocean-type names or some of the things he had did or didn't do to their careers. Now, this will be a little bit more familiar, and that is that uh, not only was Drake making name decisions at the general management level, we'll call it that, but so were program directors at the local level. And there was a gentleman named Rich Mother Robin. Mm. That's the middle name of M-U-T-H-A that was considered too coarse to be on the air by Drake. So he dispatched Buzz Bennett, the program director, to work out a new name for this guy. Well, it's pretty clear who that was, and that was Rich Brother Robin, Mm -hmm. another name that stuck over the course of the years that have been there. But what about a gentleman that's still in the air locally, or at least in the market, that's at KRTH? Vic Groupie. That's his real name. He started his career in Los Angeles under the name of Vic G. But when he came to... San Diego, that name changed, and that was the name of Jim Carson. That's also stuck. That's also a Drake name. And then also, rounding out that portion of people that were very prominent in the industry that uh, were originating a KGB with these names, was Scotty Morgan. And his real name was Richard Bullen. 
Well, what do you do with bullet? So you play around with the name, you come up with bullet. That works out well. Jesse Bullet. Now, he told me that he was offered the name of either Jesse Bullet or Chuck Roast. And amazingly, <laughs> he's heard of a DJ on the air as Chuck Roast somewhere in the Midwest. But he made the right choice for staying with uh, Jesse Bullock, giving a little outlaw twinge. That's right. Wow. How about that? Chuck Rose. That's funny. Well, we're on our show today with our good friend Dave Leonard, and we're talking all about these different personalities, all the different names that they were to be found in San Diego Radio. And, of course, this is mostly about San Diego Radio, but it's probably applicable to radio stations wherever you are in this great world of ours. But you know what? We're going to pause for a retro commercial right now, and then we're going to be back with our second half of our show and more of our guest Dave Leonard. So don't go away. You're listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. When a man uses an aftershave, what does he really want? Fancy bottles. Full of fancy perfume. At fancy prices. No. A man wants to smell like a man. There's something about Aqua Velva. He wants to be cool and refreshed. There's something about Aqua Velva. A man wants to feel like a man. Feel like a man. Cause there's something about an Aqua Velva man. Something about an aqua velva man. Okay, well, welcome back. Uh, this is Porky Chop here. <laughs> With Chuck Rose. <laughs> Holding Goldens until the midnight hour. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. It is our pleasure. You're listening to Smitty and I and our good friend, radio historian and author of Air Check, the story of top 40 radio in San Diego, none other than our good friend Dave Leonard. Dave, this has been as they say, if they gave me a radio name, this has been a trip. <laughs> and uh, we're not even halfway through the show. No. These are true stories. Uh, this didn't come out of a uh, Hollywood script that no. someone had to invent in their mind. No, this is the stuff that Hollywood scripts are actually made of. But this is, in reality, some of the personalities, some of the episodes, some of the adventures that occurred in Top 40 Radio, especially in San Diego, but we're talking, actually, the subject is the subject of radio names, personality names. And we left off with uh, none other than the legendary Chuck Roast, not to be confused with his program director, Top Sirloin. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Let, let's move it back to a more practical level of names then and talk about a few contemporaries that people would still be very familiar with in the San Diego market. For instance, Jerome Peterson was a disc jockey in the Escondido area and was hired by Kason and did a country-western format and then was hired by KC, K-S-E-A-F-M, who wanted to make a change from his identity from being with a country-western format as he came into a rock and roll. And they wanted a new name to work with that. And so he was given the name of Gene Knight. So everybody knows Gene Knight. He moved from there to KCBQ to B100, and the rest is history. He's still on, on the air now uh, as, as a music director. But it's curious, when he left KCBQ, the person that helped him out the door was named Jerry Cagle. His real name was Jerome Peterson. So here you have Jerry Cagle, a Jerome Peterson, who is, well, Gene wasn't alone, but half the staff was fired at the same time, and Gene Knight was Jerome Peterson. One of those anomalies that occurs in the, in the marketplace. O.B. Fillmore was very popular at the station KPRI, 
during the late 60s, early 70s. And then he went into mainstream radio at KGB, was there for decades. And they wanted to change his image uh, from being the outlandish or outlaw station that KPRI was. And so that was the invention of the name Jim McInnes that everybody knows. And then some more of a practical example was Ted Ziegenbush. And that's his real name. And you will hear him today on the coast, KOST in Los Angeles. But they, Ziegenbush was not a name that was considered a radio name in the early 80s and late 70s when he was here. So they had him use his middle name, which was Ted Wayne. And that happens a lot, as with Jerry Walker, that they just do slight modifications of the, uh, of the real name that is applied then as, a, as an air name. There were some radio personalities that may not have gotten their start here, but they certainly were from here and came through the market and were very prominent over the course of time. I, we've mentioned Gene Knight being one of them. And, of course, Shotgun Tom Kelly uh, would start out as Bobby McAllister, which he hated at, uh, uh, in Santa Barbara, <laughs> then move on and get the name Tom Kelly at right. KAFY in Bakersfield. And then the Shotgun Tom Kelly emerged from that by the time he returned to San Diego. But uh, there was a number of people that emerged from the Claremont area where I grew up. Among those were Brian White of Claremont High School, who was a KCBQ in the mid-'70s. With him was Chuck Geiger, who was in my same graduating class at Madison High School. Uh, Gary Kelly was from Claremont High School. And so there's this nucleus. Even program, program director and producer Kevin Barrett was in my graduating class at uh, Madison High School. And he was well-known within the industry for uh, the background operations he did. And those were all radio people that came into the industry who were from San Diego. We also mentioned Jimmy Mack, but one prominent name I haven't mentioned is Phil Flowers, who I would say was the historian of Top 40 Radio, particularly his KCBQ, uh, until his uh, unfortunate passing. But uh, Phil Flowers was from the Escondido area or Oceanside and uh, certainly was with KCBQ for a number of years and had an audio library was second to none. And uh, so those are some of the folks that have emerged from the San Diego market. Very good. You know, uh, Dave, I went to Claremont High School. Really? Yes. So I'm. it's curious that uh, Gary Kelly and uh, who else did you mention? Brian White uh, were graduates from Claremont? Yes. Yeah. I guess I'm in some pretty good company there. Aren't we all? <laughs> Aren't we <with> all? Madison. <laughs> That's right. Now, being in radio as, radio, as a radio personality, very few listeners or very few, for that matter, the public, know what you look like, but they can tell your voice. Anywhere, anytime, especially back in Top 40 Radio. But some people, to this day, can remember Casey Kasem's voice. And also, I'm sure if Casey Kasem walked into a store, they would remember Casey Kasem. What were some of these personalities in San Diego who were actually, I won't say they crossed over to TV side, but they were known. They could, they could go off an air shift and walk into a Vons market, for instance, and be known by several people. Do you, you know who those people, maybe... Maybe they did, well, Gary Kelly for one. Because Gary Kelly, he crossed over back and forth from radio to TV. That's correct. And does the weather now. Actually, he's, I'm on his Facebook page, so he reports weather. I think he lives in Temecula. Because okay. he's always talking about today's temperature in Temecula. Another one that did the same crossover was Mike Ambrose. Ambrose, there mm-hmm. you go. He yeah. was a KDEO in the early 60s and became Captain Mike at Channel 10 for many decades. And, of course, and we talked earlier in our pre-production meeting about Regis Philbin. Regis started out at KSON, 
Okay. Then became uh, a TV uh, talk show host. Yeah. Then became a network co-host. And then, of course, uh, we all know where uh, he ended up with the live with Regis. But his beginnings were in San Diego. And we have, of course, we keep going full circle to our good friend. All our good, all three of us here can call him our good friend, Shotgun yeah, Tom Kelly. Yes, yes. You can see Shotgun walking into a Home Depot, and you will know that that is Shotgun Kelly, the radio guy. Yeah, absolutely. But there were a lot of the personalities who were only known on the radio. They were a voice. They were the voice you'd hear with your little eight transistor radio under the pillow at night, and they were your friend. Yeah, absolutely. And unless you got the... Uh, some of the weekly radio reports, you you had no idea what they looked like other than the studio stills that would come out with the uh, chart list. Right. They would do personal appearances at concerts for openings of stores, but it was usually radio people that were drawn to that or music people. It wasn't the masses. And so people would oftentimes see these radio personalities over and over, but they were the same cluster group of people, not necessarily everybody that in town that would know them from the as a entire local population as being recognizable. Right, and I remember you know listening as a kid and even as a grown up, you know, listening to somebody on the radio and you don't have a clue what they look like and you kind of conjure up your own image exactly in your mind. Well, does this guy have a mustache or does this guy have you know a lot of hair or long hair or no hair? Or does he have a beard? What does he look like? And then one day you see him or you see a picture of him, and you go. Wow, I never knew he looked that way. <laughs> when I listened to KCBQ as a kid, there were two names that uh, came that I can think of right now that, that looked pretty much like what I expected, nowhere like what I expected. Scotty Day pretty much looked what I like what I expected. Wow. Uh, a regular guy, if you saw him in the store, he'd look like everybody else. One guy I didn't know what to expect was Lee Baby Sims. Because he had a, a voice, you weren't quite sure what race he was, uh, anything about what he looked like, because he sounded like a soul man. And so, what do, what do we what do we, can we expect when we see them? And I finally found him on the furthest time on the back of the heavy hits of KCPQ's album, and there he was, looking nothing like what I expected. <laughs> how about that? How about, how about Ron Ugly Thompson? Ron Ugly Thompson <laughs> was he really ugly? Absolutely not. I know. <laughs> That's where I'm going with, Dave. You know, he he looked like a nerd. Yeah. But uh, so did everybody else with the horn room glasses at the time in 1969. But uh, you would have expected somebody that was uh, had survived leprosy based on how he described himself. And that wasn't the case at all. Yeah. He had a colleague that uh, you talk about racing home to listen to that actually was hired at KCBQ at the same time, came from the same station in, in the Midwest, named uh, Robert Collins, Robert W. Collins, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he had the, this extravaganza show in the, in the uh, afternoon, and he was from, had this Tennessee draw, and he was just great to listen to, play great music. Not that it was his choice, but he went on to Chicago to become Bob Collins and a huge talent until the time he was killed in a plane crash. But uh, that was somebody that I personally wanted to hear every afternoon. Well, what blew me away is when I got a look when I got a look at uh, one of the KCB guys, uh, <laughs> the trippy Domino Rippy. Oh, yeah. I, th- I thought of this. Narrow guy, one of the freak brothers from the old hippie comic books, and a skinny, tall, six-foot-eight guy with maybe a goatee and some sideburns. Domino Rippy, <laughs> he looked like what was inside the trash bag when you wrapped it up on the night before and 
rest in peace, Rippy, but he was nothing like what you'd hear on the radio and nothing like who's named the trippy Domino Rippy. He is bearded. He's kind of a slob. He, I guess the new name would be the grunge look. But when he went out on the radio, again, people would race home or they'd ditch school to hear him go nuts. And I hear from the insiders that he'd wiggle around on the floor and squirm in the studio and, and act crazy. And that was kind of the flavor and the, the personality of Top 40 in San Diego back in, when we say back in the day, we're talking today, the 60s and 70s now on this, on this particular program. But in our next program, we're going to actually have Dave back to talk some more about Top 40 Radio in San Diego, and we're going to wrap up this episode of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. It's been our pleasure to bring this show to you. Our guest has been Dave Leonard, the author of Air Check, the story of Top 40 Radio in San Diego. We'd like to tell you you can catch all our shows on Apple iTunes Store. All you got to do is search Baby Boomer Radio, and you get all 118 shows, 116 shows, and by the time you hear this, we'll be over 120 shows. You can catch our Facebook page by typing in the search area, Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. You can email us at galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. Well, that's it for now. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. I'm Dave. We'll be talking to you soon. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.